And while you're turning there to uh, Philippians 4, I uh, want to just make you aware of a couple things going on uh, here at the church. We have upcoming this week, we have the Hope for Raleigh uh, event where we'll have uh, fitness and music camp going on and we will have, that's for five to ten year olds, and then for the middle and high schoolers we will do a construction camp uh, for the guys and a fashion camp for the girls. Uh, we will also provide food for everybody who comes and uh, we are just really excited. We've got a great numbers of kids turning out, a great number of volunteers and so if you uh, would love to be a part of that, if you have children, this is both for kids in our community and also in our church family. And so please, if you want your children to be a part of that, sign them up. It's not too late. And let us know uh, that you want to be uh, included in this summer camp. Also, uh, we are <clears throat> moving forward, and I'll be sending out an email this week. We have several people that we're putting forward for uh, deacons here at uh, TCC, and so I'm excited to see what God is doing there, so be looking for that email as uh, we see leaders uh, rising up among us, and thankful to God that he's doing that. So let's dive in here. We're in Philippians chapter 4, and I will go through. We're going to spend two weeks, basically, on 1 through 13. So today, I'm going to look at 1 through 7, but not deal with the issue of anxiety, and next week we will deal with this issue of how you find peace in the midst of fear and anxiety and in the midst of uh, what are perceived as really bad, uh, painful circumstances. So that's next week. Uh, this week we are going to focus on the promise of God to help make his people stand. So I want to read verses 1 through 7 for us today and then I'll pray and we'll dive into it together. Word of God says this, Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your grace, your help in time of need. For the undeserving, we ask that you would just pour it out right now. For those who are struggling to, to focus and to, to really set their minds upon you, would you do it? Would you grip our minds? Would you focus us in? For many of us who struggle to repent and to acknowledge the sin that is just right there before us, 
I ask for a softness of heart. A softness of heart that's willing to confess. Willing to cry out for you to change. I pray for those who have big decisions that need to be made. I ask, oh God, that they would see that the biggest decision that can be made is, will I make my soul happy in you or not today? Father, I ask that in these moments, you would help your people stand firm. We need you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, there's story after story after story. As you see people heading off overseas to serve our country and protect our freedom. Sadly, what happens is many return having experienced not just major emotional trauma, but physical trauma. Specifically, those who realize that a, a limb, a, a body part has been hurt, damaged beyond repair, and they become an amputee. You can see these people coming through. The special, uh, the Olympics for those who of uh, special needs is coming up soon. And just to see these individuals going through and playing hockey in wheelchairs and just competing at such a high level shows that there was this progress from major tragedy of losing a limb, which we saw actually two this week. It happened in Oak Isle with a shark attack. And you begin to look in at these individuals and you picture this moment when they realize they have no leg and they're going through rehabilitation and for the first time they put on this prosthesis and they fight, they fight to stand. They fight to get up and that some of them don't believe it's possible and with the help of others coming alongside, lift up, lock the knees and they help them put weight on something that they never, they didn't think that would be possible. As we look into the scriptures and Paul encourages the church to stand firm, we have to admit that sin has impaired our ability to walk. Sin has affected us in some significant ways. But what they found out with amputees is that it doesn't just help an amputee for someone to come along them physically and help them to walk. What it takes is it takes a team. It takes for someone to encourage them emotionally and someone to give them financial counsel and someone to come along them spiritually and someone to help them physically. And just as it is here, Paul is encouraging for the church to stand firm. To stand firm in the midst of weakness, but to realize we can't do it alone. We need to be all unified, all together, of the same mind, so that we can, yes, as individuals, but yes, as a family, stand firm in him. And so what we want to look at today is what I believe is the promise of this scripture, not church get stronger but the first message, I think, is God is able to make his people stand. It's a promise that God will and can uphold his people. So the main idea today is God is able to make you stand. And yet the command is for us to act. And so we'll see three action steps today. To stand firm in perseverance, to stand firm in peace, 
and to stand firm in prayer. To stand firm. So let's dive into this. Philippians chapter 4 verse 1. As we look at standing firm in perseverance. It says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, it's, in, it's the word that's used to describe the family of God. Therefore, family. And then listen to how affectionate he begins to talk. Whom I love, who I long for. You're my joy and my crown. And he says, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. It's this image of almost like a, a daddy, and you've been there, a daddy who comes alongside or a parent or some, somebody who you really trust to kind of guide you in the way. They come alongside you and they look you in the eye and they might get down at your level if you're young. And they look you in the eye and they say, do you know I love you? Do you know I love you? Yes, yes, I know you love me. I play with you. I pray with you. I provide for you. We eat meals together. I do special things for you. You know I love you. I have such a deep love for you in my heart that there's nothing you can do that will undo my love for you. Nothing. And yet, there's something I need to tell you. <laughs> Sometimes you see this between adults, I think sometimes it's not as affectionate as it might be between a child and a, a parent and a child. But you see sometimes when spouses are, you feel like it's the great setup, right? You're such a good husband. You're such a good wife. I'm so thankful for you, but, and then that word comes and it feels like it just sucked all the life out of that, right? And then wham, they give it to you. Here's how you've been hurting me. That's not what Paul's doing. What Paul's doing right here is the first example. I love you. I care for you. You are my beloved. And yet, you must stand firm. There's something that is unraveling this church. There's something that is threatening their joy. There is something that is disintegrating their unity. And he says, I love you. I'm in prison for the sake of the gospel and for your sake. I have demonstrated it over and over. This letter is a communication of my care for you, but you've got to stand firm. You've got to stand up. You can't be blown around. So why does he say that? Well, it says, therefore, that word therefore, it constantly points us backwards. And he's saying, I want you to stand firm. He's already told us in chapter one, I want your love to abound more and more. I want it to grow more and more. You've been loving, but it's got to increase. Keep going in love. He says in chapter 2, you've received so much grace and help from the Holy Spirit. Now extend it to one another. Consider one another even more significant than yourself. Have the same mind of Christ Jesus who humbled himself and was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Stand firm in that. Stand firm in considering others better than yourself. Stand firm in being humble. Stand firm in being obedient to God. He goes on. Stand firm in not emphasizing 
your righteousness, your goodness, but emphasizing the work of God on your behalf. He says, make knowing Jesus the greatest pursuit you could go after. Stand firm in that. And then as we heard last week, grow into maturity. Grow to look more and more like your Savior. Stand firm in that. Stand. Stand. It is a call for perseverance. It is a call for endurance, not to give up. The verb is actually present. It is right now, in this moment, keep standing. Stand. 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 It is a call to not give up. Why would he say stand firm? The verb implies that there is someone trying to knock you down. It's the game I used to play as a kid when you would sit there, you know, king of the hill. And I would stand at the top of this hill and these people would try to run up and try to pull me down the hill. And no, I would fight them off, you know, and I'm standing at the top of the hill and they would come and grab you and try to throw you back down. And then you would run up and try to pull them down. It was this sense of, this is what Paul is saying. There's a lot of attack from within and from without. The implication of standing firm means something is trying to keep you from standing firm. Both yourself and those around you. We saw it in Philippians chapter 3. Chapter 3 when he says, verse 18, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. They're at minimum a bad example. They're leading you astray as if this is what's going to deliver but some are inviting you in. Some are trying to tempt you. Paul is saying, but I promise you, he says, it will end in their destruction. It might seem glorious now. It will end in their destruction. Trust God's word. Their mind is set too much on earthly things. So there's attack from without. There are those that are accusing you, those that are telling you wrong ways to go. But there's also attack from within when he says in verse, chapter 3, verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made it my own. Verse 13, but I don't consider to have made it my own. One thing I do, forgetting what's behind and stri straining forward to what lies ahead. This is what he's talking about. In, in standing firm. It's not just standing still. It's the standing firm and walking forward, straining forward in the spirit. But what's happening within is the temptation to look backwards. The temptation to count your failures. The temptation to wallow in your poor decisions. Self-pity, overcoming. Dave Harvey in a book called Rescuing Ambition, he says this about failure. The looking back, he says, failure is a lesson, not a label. Found that really helpful. Failure is a lesson, not a label. It's meant to be looked at, learned from, so that it moves you forward. Not looked at, dwelt upon, and a label, this is who I am. Because Christ has overcome everything. We don't have to be characterized by our 
issues, although many of them do we have, but we look forward, we strain forward, we stand firm. And so there's an assumption that there are distractions and there are doubts and there is pain trying to pull us from standing firm in the Lord. But I want you to notice something else about this stand firm. It's a command. Do this. You must do this. But instead of thinking burden when you hear command, which is very tempting, think that assumes the ability to do it. Think victory, not failure. Stand firm along with every command in the scriptures is a declaration of God's presence with and his grace for his people. When you are commanded something, God is saying, I will be with you and I will help you do it. The very first command in all of scripture, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, is called a blessing. I will bless you. I will give you what you need to do it. Don't think burden. Don't think weighed down. Think opportunity. To experience more and more grace, more and more power exerted in your weak and fragile life like mine is. And so when we look at this command to stand, it is actually an emphasis of God's ability to work through weak vessels to do what he's asked them to do. Paul is saying this is doable. He never commands what he doesn't also supply. He will supply your needs. He strengthens us by his spirit to do all that he commands. As sure as the day will turn into night and the night into day, so sure is our God to give you what he commands of you. He's going to do it. So we have to stop listening to the world that command is burden, law is something to do. Is We just need to be free of, of having these commands. <laughs> no. We need to be strengthened to do the commands. That's where joy comes. This is why Romans 14, 4 is so precious. In the midst of talking about those who are weak, in faith, there's a promise, and it says, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Very same word here. He will be upheld because the Lord is able to make him stand. When you hear this command, the Lord is able to make you stand, to make you stand firm. Standing firm is possible for you because God is for you and not against you. This is what Paul has been drumming into our brains. And now we must exert, right? We've got to exert energy. We have to stand firm. We have to walk. We have to press into. We have to grope. We have to hunger. We have to fight. We have to discipline. We have to watch for him. But when you do it, watch him bless also. It's an opportunity to experience the power of God in our lives. So all of that kind of packed into this one verse. Paul is saying stand firm, persevere. And then he uses this interesting phrase here. He says, "My joy and crown." Paul has been laboring that this church 
would make it to the end. And on that last day when Jesus comes back, and he will do so, that their faith would have persevered. That they would have been strong. That they would be hopeful and their faith would be in God. And so he's saying, that's what gives me joy. That's the crown that I want to wear on my head on that last day. It is one who has been fighting for the good of another to get to the end. That's my joy and crown. Oh, that the people of God would think that way about the category of joy. I get joy by fighting with all of my might that you might get to the end. And on that last day when you're standing there in faith, that's my joy and crown. Ask the parent, the godly parent who is walking with Jesus, the very primary desire of their heart is that their child would know Christ. If they're a follower of Jesus, that is their primary desire. You can desire a lot of other things, but I want my child to walk with Jesus. That would be a joy and a crown. And so I'm going to give my life. Now, we cannot control the outcome of our spouse. We can't control the outcome of our children. We can't control the outcome of our neighbor. But we can be faithful to stand firm ourselves and to fight for the joy of another to get to the end. That's what God calls us to do in this standing firm. That we would live for someone else's faith to get to the end and I just began to ask what does that look like I prayed to God God give me a picture of this for us today what does it look like for us to stand firm and I believe one thing is that it means that we own our faith that we own our faith our faith is our own because on the last day you will not be able to look and say I had a godly child I had a godly wife. I had godly parents. The only thing that will get you in or not is do you yourself call Jesus your Savior? Do you yourself love him and treasure him? You can put a facade on for anyone, but on the last day, every bit of the onion will be peeled back and you will see down to the core of the soul, do you love him? Not are you perfect, but do you treasure him? Is he your love? Do you talk to him? Do you experience his Holy Spirit right now in your life? Making the word understandable, increasing affection for Jesus, pushing you away from sin and prompting you to love. Yes, imperfect. Yes, up and down. But do you treasure him? This week I was at Creed Camp. Creed Camp is a camp where Nine different churches sent their teenagers to Methodist University about an hour away from here, down 95, and had over 300 students that were there. And they asked me to speak for the last night. And so they were talking about seeing for yourself that God is. See for yourself that God is glorious. See for yourself that God is good. See for yourself that God is holy. And then I had see for yourself that God is gracious. And these teenagers were just really, I was just really excited to see their love for Jesus and their fun that they were having. But they would do, before the talks, they would put little videos up of 
uh, teenagers that were kind of sharing their testimony. And we had one of our own teenagers, Megan Cheeseman, who shared her testimony. And I want you to hear what she has to say. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was an associate pastor. I went to private schools up until sixth grade where we moved and I went to a public school. I had never been around anyone not Christian. It was the first time that I'd been exposed to just a different situation. And during when I during that when I realized that I had like a choice to be anything I wanted. I realized that you know I was a Christian and that is what I wanted to be. It wasn't just my parents' religion, that it was mine also. To see for yourself as a Christian, it means to have a personal relationship with Christ. It's no one else's relationship, it's yours. It's not your parents, it's not your pastors, it's not your friends. It's a personal thing that you go through with the Lord. So thankful for Megan being willing to share just her story briefly about how God is at work in her life. And I pose the same question to you. The same question to you. Do you own your faith? This is what it will look like on that last day to say, Paul is looking out at his people and saying, that'll be my joy and crown is when people that I have been encouraging, they own their faith. They love Christ. When they come to a crisis, whether through suffering or whether through life change, and they look at that crisis in the eye and they say, I choose Jesus. That's what it might look like. But I also asked, what else does it look like? This picture of perseverance, standing firm in perseverance. And I think it's perseverance in suffering. To make our aim the perseverance of someone else's faith means that you yourself, when you go through trial, you go through it and on the other side, you look and you say, Jesus, you're enough. Jesus, I love you. Although I don't understand all the pain that I've gone through, you're the one that I need. You're the one that I long for. This is to be able to say Christ is worth it all. Psalm 27.4. This is a picture of what it will look like on that last day. David says this, One thing I have asked of the Lord, and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And here's what it looks like. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. To behold God and then to search him out. To look for him. And to say, Jesus, I adore you. I, who I see is who I love. And I want to know more and more and more and more about you. This is what it means to be a follower. I want to see you. I want to know you. And it translates into inquiring about him, studying his good works, diving into him, spending time in prayer. These are beautiful things that what it means to stand firm now so that on that last day, Someone who's been pouring into you said, you're my joy, you're my crown. They've persevered to the end. Standing firm is a persevering faith. It's a persevering faith. 
that makes a people a joy and a crown. But also what we see here in the text is that standing firm is a standing firm in peace. A standing firm in peace. Not only in perseverance, but in peace. Look at verse 2. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche. Now, these individuals were two women who were known in the church. It says here that, verse 3, they labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. There's this sense of they were followers of Jesus, but not only followers, but they were leaders. They led alongside Paul in an aggressive mission of taking the gospel forward. They labored for that, and yet something brought a rift, put a division between these two women, and it was so poisonous, it was spreading like Ebola or cancer throughout this church. So much so that Paul has to call them out by name, and he has to solicit a third party. This, you might have some versions actually have the Greek word, sigi or something like that, which also can mean fellow or true companion. So either it's a person with that name or it's just a third party who is known as a true companion who is called in to be a mediator in the midst of their disunity. This is how serious it was. And as I look at this, I think there are some helpful things to notice here. One is that Paul says, be careful when you stand lest you fall. Be careful when you stand lest you fall. Meaning, leaders can fall into sin just like anybody else. And when they do, the gangrene spreads quicker. The disease can run at a faster pace. Because you've affected more people with your life. Your example has been followed by people. And now, you're not representing Jesus well at all. There's disunity. There's division. There's backbiting. There's gossip. Whenever you see disunity, many of these things begin to kind of spring up as the tentacles that you know disunity has happened when people are talking bad about each other behind their backs. When the tongue gets a little looser. When there is this sense of anger and volatility. When there's an unwillingness to listen to the other person because they've hurt you so badly. You can't even listen. You can't even fathom that you might be wrong. And so you don't forgive. You don't, even, you don't even surgically look at your own heart. There is division, disunity. And Paul says, standing firm is not a passive endeavor. It is aggressive. It is a fight. Ephesians 4.1 says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. <laughs> peace is not a cheap good in the church. It takes some massive dying to self, self-analyzation, forgiveness, love. 
And this is why he says, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness or gentleness be evident and known to everyone. You can just see it. You can almost like he's, he's not, but it's almost like he's there in the middle of an argument that they're having and he's just saying, stop. Stop doing he said, she said. Stop rehearsing all the bad things and fight for joy. Do you see where he began? <laughs> My joy and crown is that your faith gets to the end. And now I'm calling you to joy. Because what you're doing is so narrow-minded, so closed in, so looking at you and protecting your rights and all those things that you're not even looking towards the end. That's why he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is at hand. It is a phrase about the nearness of the coming of our Lord. We don't know when he will return, but he will return. And how foolish would we look in the middle of the argument when Jesus shows up? We were angry. and We were cutting people down with our words. We were trying to preserve our rightness. When we might have been 70% right, but we had some 30% wrong going on. He wants us to be ushered in. Ushered in to that day when he returns and says, live now in light of that. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Stop, stop this disunity. Joy will only come when you live in light of what's coming next. Do you know Dylan Roof, the 21-year-old who tragically goes into Charleston, into that church, and kills those nine people? Do you know that when he went in, he sat down in their Bible study for an hour? And that church was so welcoming of him and one article that I read said this, that he said he almost didn't do it because they were so nice and welcoming of him. Such hatred, such evil in the heart, that was even struck and shaken at least a little by the gentleness and the kindness and the welcoming in that moment. Then after he did that tragic event and he was called into the courtroom for those people who lost their friends and family to be able to look at him through tears and say, I forgive you. May God have mercy on your soul. This is something that lives in light of the last day rather than just being consumed by the moment. What I loved were those services where white and black across multiple races were holding hands and they were singing together in those churches. It's this sense of I choose unity. I do not choose 
to harbor a grudge. When history could, in the world's eyes, allow it, I choose unity. That's beautiful. It was beautiful. And Paul says, when you stand firm, you stand firm in perseverance. It means hard things are going to come at you. You're going to be attacked. Stand firm. When you stand firm, you stand firm in peace, living in light of that last day. Believe that the last day is coming and believe that that is where the bucket of joy will be poured over your head. And when you live in light of it now, joy comes now. And then finally he says, stand firm in prayer. Stand firm in prayer. Look at what he says in verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Like I said, we will deal with his command about anxiety next week. But what I want to hone in on is the standing firm for Paul is not only a standing firm in perseverance and a standing firm in one mind, one mind of unity and peace, but a standing firm in prayer. In everything, pray. You see that? In everything. Don't be anxious, but in everything pray. That's a big word. Everything. Be prayerful. The follower of Jesus who stands firm thus in the Lord is a praying person. It is an acknowledgement that I long for God. I need him. Prayer is a declaration that says loud and clear, I can't do this. And you might say, well, yeah, I can. I can do my job. I can instruct my kids. Yes, you can. But you will not do it faithfully. You will not do it fully. You will not do it in a way where the Spirit is encouraging and lifting you up and giving you wisdom and showing you what love looks like. You need to acknowledge that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. When you get there, you pray. I can't do it. The anxious person in this text, the fearful person in this text, he says, is an acknowledgement, you can't fix yourself. Now pray. Go at it. Go at it in prayer. Long for him. More than the military spouse longs for the spouse to return home from deployment. More than the pregnant woman longs for the baby in her womb to come out healthy and quickly. The Christian longs to be with God longs to be with him to gaze at him and to inquire about him jesus in mark eleven seventeen 17 says that my house my people should be a house of prayer for all ethnicities it should be a house of prayer and jesus himself knowing his need for communion with his father he went off by himself to a mountainside to pray, and he prayed all night long. If the perfect son of God needed his communion with his father so much, we must be pricked to the heart of our need to just commune with God. I've been reading a book by a man named Leonard Ravenhill. It's called Why Revival Tarries. And here's a quote from that book. A sinning man will stop praying and a praying man will stop sinning. 
A sinning man will stop praying, but a praying man, or woman of course, will stop sinning. It is not as if I can fix myself 75%. I just need you to add a little bit on top. I need you desperately, fully. That person falls to their knees and says, I'm undone. I need you to come. That's what Paul's talking about. In everything, in everything, in everything, pray. Prayer, this general banner for going to him, this supplication is a calling out to him, a thanksgiving is just thanking God and then letting your requests, specific requests be made known to God. It's this description of going after God in prayer. Ravenhill goes on to say this. I love these quotes. Just may it stir our hearts to pray and to believe that God promises to meet his people as they call out to him. No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. The pulpit can be a shop window to display one's talents. The prayer closet allows no showing off. Poverty stricken as the church is today in many things, she is most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, but few tears. God calls his people to agonize before their almighty king and call out, I am weak, you are strong. Show up in power. Light me aflame. Stir in my heart. Satan is not afraid of what you are doing. He is afraid of your pleadings before Almighty God. He wants you on your knees. It is on your knees when you are saying, I cannot, Christ you can, and you are calling down power, the very power that rendered the devil impotent as the tomb was rendered empty. The devil is not afraid of us. He's afraid of Christ. Draw near to Christ. So we must call down fire from heaven call down for holiness and joy from heaven there is the only source of victory and freedom one more quote in that book that i found very helpful it says this god is not prodigal with his power that means he's not a delinquent when it comes to him pouring out power. He's not stingy when it comes to him pouring out power. He's not a prodigal son when it comes to pouring out power. But to be much for God, we must be much with God. Paul is saying, stand firm. I'm inviting you in to fall on your face and to call out. Call out. 
in hunger for the living God to move. I encourage you, church. I encourage you to stand firm. Though the waves are crashing against your heart, though enemies are attacking from side to side, I encourage you, it is worth it to stand firm and to fight against your sin, to not have one foot in the world and one foot out, but to say, I'm all in with Jesus, to stand firm in perseverance. I encourage you, church, to stand firm in peace. To not settle for disunity, but as far as it depends on you, strive to live at peace with everyone. And I encourage you, church, to stand firm in prayer. For our God invites you in. And he says, everything that I command, I will supply. So that you get the help and I get the glory. Let's stand firm as a family. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that in this moment when we take the Lord's Supper together, that you would, you would make this a time of desperate prayer. You would make this a time of calling out to you. Some of us need to be serious and honest about the sin that is easily entangling our hearts. We need to not rehearse the sin of another. We need to really ask for you to search our hearts in this moment, to search us right now in this moment and to draw us near to you. And so God, I please, I pray, I pray that right now in this moment you would fall upon us by your Holy Spirit that you would come and that we would, like Jacob, we would wrestle with you and say, I cannot let you go until you strengthen me. And then we would be both stripped of our sin and strengthened by the Holy Spirit. God, do it in this moment, I pray. Take those who are doubting and confirm what they know to be true. Show yourself as a safe place for questions and concerns. Father, for those who are struggling to love, fill them up, I pray, with your forgiveness for them so that then they would be filled up in forgiveness and working for the faith and love of another. Oh God, in this moment, meet us in power. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Light our souls aflame. May we pray with Jim Elliott. Forgive us, O oh God, of living such an ordinary life as we serve such an extraordinary God. Oh, Father, please, may we stop settling for ordinary and may we stand firm for your name. I pray this. Because we need help. And you promise to give it. We pray this in Christ's glorious name. Amen.